Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like, it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow, and this is the Goop Podcast, where we bring together visionaries, scientists, healers, artists, and seekers. I'm so grateful that I get to interview these extraordinary thought leaders and share their wisdom with you. And I love listening to the conversations that are led by my co-host and dear friend, Cleo Wade. Cleo is a beautiful poet and author. I deeply admire her and the way she keeps her heart open to the world. Together, we believe that engaging in open-minded, honest, and sometimes difficult conversations has the power to change our lives. All right, over to Cleo. You're about to listen to the very first episode of the Goop podcast that I recorded in front of a live audience. We were at the Audemar Piquet house in LA, which was exciting. But I would have been very excited to talk to this particular guest in any context. My friend Shiza Shahed is an entrepreneur, an activist, an investor, and a world-renowned impact leader. She is the co-founder of the Malala Fund and Our Place. She is deeply kind and thoughtful. I really just adore her. And she knows how to compassionately bring people together particularly around the dinner table. I'm so honored to share her on the podcast with you today. I've never done the Goom podcast after two glasses of wine. (laughs) So we're going to see how it goes. But I do want to thank you all for being here. And as always, community of women is a very powerful thing. And it's actually every type of collaboration that's meaningful begins in community, begins in friendship. So I'm grateful. Thank you. I'm friends with her, actually. So I've always wanted to hear you say that. Oh, my God. (laughs) I want to thank you so much for being here. And all that you do, Shiza, I think I was really excited about this. Although I I was looking forward to doing it from the comfort of my own kind of pajamas at my house when I do the Goop Pod. But it's amazing to kind of share you with this group because I think that so much of what you do is about the ritual of getting people together. I think it's the root of how you've created what you've created. And I kind of want to start with, I guess, 
your root or the kind of seed of your experience, which is your mother. And my mom is here today. Shout out to Lolo. So I know that you were born in Pakistan and your mother is who taught you how to cook. And I know that you've kind of expressed the same sentiment that Gloria Steinem has also said, which is that most women are often living their mother's unlived dreams. And I'd love for you to expand on how you're doing that with our place and for all of the work you do in investing and the kind of purpose-driven work that you do. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you, Cleo. You know, my story definitely begins with my mother's story. And my mother was born into a very traditional Pakistani family. She was the oldest of four girls, was taught from a very young age that she would not get to pursue higher education or build a career, that really her only options in life were to be a wife and a mother, was married to my father when she was 19 years old, met him for the first time on their wedding day. But my mother and father were remarkable in that they made the radical decision to set their children free. And that meant working incredibly hard to send us to the best schools in the country. I grew up in Pakistan, but I had a relatively good education there. And my mother also kept us out of the kitchen. And I always thought, you know, every time there was something cooking at home, she would say, oh, don't come in here. There's hot oil. And I always thought it was because she was afraid I would get hurt in the kitchen. And it was really only later in life that I realized that the kitchen had been this source of oppression for her. And her refusing to let me in was her way of saying, go out there and study and build and create and, and setting me free. Now, she didn't contemplate that I would, at 18, move 7,000 miles away to the United States to study and eventually to build and that I wouldn't be able to feed myself. Um, (laughs) and and so this thing that was you know disempowering for her cooking became a source of empowerment for me learning to cook choosing to cook reconnecting with my heritage my culture through food that which was a source of oppression for her eventually would become my path to liberation and I think the key difference there really was was that choice it's also really amazing this idea of being able to take ancestral trauma and alchemize it into your purpose and so this idea that you can kind of take what was your mother's dust and turn it into your gold is so powerful and I think so many people can resonate with this idea of finding I think it's freedom in the unlived dream but I think it's sometimes I don't know what makes me more sad the idea that the dream didn't get lived or someone couldn't have the dream at all. Do you feel like, no, do you feel like you know what your mom's dream for herself would have been, or she even felt like she could have a dream for herself beyond the kitchen? You know, my, my mother is not is a remarkably resilient woman and she's living her best life today. She wow. now runs wow. an orphanage in Pakistan. Oh my God. Um, I thought you were going to say she was in Beverly Hills, like getting her nails done. I swear to God. I mean, I try. I'm always like, come visit me. I'll send you a ticket. She's like, you guys are fine. There's 130 kids here who need me. So it's a little hard to convince her to visit. Mom, please visit more often. We still need you. But she, you know, she found her path to her purpose and I think that's what's interesting is it's it is never too late our journeys are not linear and 
you know, we're taught purpose is this thing, you know, that we discover when we're young and it's one thing and, you know, it's a straight shot from there. And Mozart was composing when he was three years old. But for most people, I, I think that notion is very oppressive and purpose is something we all deserve. Meaning is something we all deserve and we can find it in different ways at different stages and it can look different. But I do think it is essential to happiness. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. When it comes to putting together your home, a great rug can make all the difference. A rug is really what pulls a room together and creates harmony. Nordic Knots offers a curated collection of rugs and timeless, high-quality essentials. They collaborate with leading designers and are the insider rug brand gracing some of the world's most beautiful homes. They have a wide-ranging collection, but we'll just talk about a few favorites today. The luxurious Grand Collection is known for its simple design, stunning colors, and high-quality wool. But if you're feeling a bit more bold, their designer collaborations are made with world-renowned designers and interior architects. Their Goodweave certified rugs are handmade and woven in all natural materials, like their super soft and beautiful New Zealand wool. At Nordic Knots, they make the process of rug shopping easy and enjoyable. And they always offer fast and free shipping from the U.S. To explore their rug collections, head to nordicknots.com. Use promo code INNERCIRCLE to get free rug samples. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. I feel like I've written about this before, which is that I don't think everyone has a singular purpose. I think that it's much more realistic and actually makes you feel better to consider the idea that you can bring purpose to truly anything you want. And this idea that purpose is always within your power to give to something. And and then I guess I want to think about, you know, was your mom always kind of service oriented? And do you think that that is what led you to wanting to kind of create, I know most of you probably know Shiza from our place, but she also created Malala's fund with her. You're the, are you the co-founder? You're the co-founder. And so do you feel that that's the example of, cause I, I feel that most people who saw service do service. I think most people who witnessed listening, do listening. I feel that most people who lived with talking at do talking at. And so do you feel that service was a way of life in your household growing up? And that's why you were moved to kind of build a structure around Malala's story to help other people? I would say yes and no. So my parents never pushed me into a path. They just, you know, they, they raised me with what I, I call benevolent neglect. I was the last kid. I was the youngest kid. The other two had done fine. <laughs> and so they were like, all right, well, I guess she's going to be fine if we feed her and clothe her and, you know, love her. Yeah. And they did. And, and I think for me, there was this stark contrast of the life that I had and the time and place that I was growing up in. I was growing up in Islamabad. It was a post 9-11 world. There were barricades going up down the street every day because of terrorist attacks. You know, women, Pakistan is currently ranked the second worst place to be born a woman. And I want to say that with nuance because I think I'm conscious I'm speaking to a room in the West about women in the East and, and it's not black and white and women in the East have powers 
and freedoms in some ways that women in the West don't and vice versa. But Pakistan is ranked the second worst place to be born a woman and, and there is a realness to, to that. And I think I, I had this contrast of my experience, my freedoms, my safety, and the experience of so many women and girls around me. I also had this experience of being young and showing up and no one stopping me and realizing how good it felt to help and to do something that felt meaningful, right? I was a teenager with this sort of vast nothingness that I think we can experience in adolescence and vast meaningless we can experience in adolescence and many times in life. And I was like, mom, I got an internship. I'm going to carry medical supplies into a women's prison. And she's like, sure, sweetheart, you know, be home, you know. I won't even say I had a curfew. Call me if you need anything. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, (laughs) come back. And I had this experience so young. And then I worked in my, you know, for an organization providing microloans and microenterprise to women, raising themselves and their families and their communities out of poverty. And then there was a huge earthquake in my country. And I worked in a camp every day to help survivors of the earthquake. And it just, it just filled me with this sense of purpose. And I think you know, I know a lot of people here have children and and there's this desire to sort of guide them. And my parents didn't guide me. They, they just didn't stop me. And I think what we often do is, you know, we're walking on the street, our child sees someone who's unhoused and says, oh, mommy, this person, can we help them? I'm so sad. And we say, oh, don't worry. Don't worry. Right. We're we're teaching them. Don't worry. This is not your problem. Someone else has got this. And so I think we lose this sense of I can make a difference. Mm. And I just think I was lucky in that that wasn't taken away from me. Wow. And so... Is someone snapping? (laughs) Justina. So Malala is 11. You are 22. You're living where? In California? So Malala is 11. I'm 19. I'm in my sophomore year at Stanford. I come upon a video about a girl who's fighting out for girls' rights to go to, speaking out for girls' rights to go to school. And I think I have to help her. So I find her father's number through organizers on the ground. And I say, hey, I'm a student at Stanford and I I think I can help. And he's this wonderful, generous man who says, would love your help. And that summer, he brings his daughter and 26 other girls to my hometown in Pakistan, and we create this secret summer camp for schoolgirls from this part of the country where girls' education is under attack. And it's four years after that that Malala is attacked by the Taliban. At the time I've graduated from Stanford, I've taken my first job out of college at McKinsey. I have a five-year plan. I'm Mm -hmm. going to, you know, build my resume go to business school and I get a text message about what's happened. And of course, I'm immediately just shocked and heartbroken. And I fly in to be with her and her family. And thankfully, miraculously, she recovers and comes back stronger than ever. And really, I have a decision to make in that moment, which is, do I stay? Do I help? Do I try and make the world care beyond the news cycle? Or do I go back to my five-year plan? And I was 22 at the time. Ended up quitting my job, moving to New York with a suitcase and starting the Malala Fund and was hard and uh, beautiful. And, you know, one of the things I'm most grateful to have done and, and really sort of at 24 
witnessed her go up at the Nobel Peace Prize ceremony and become the youngest ever Nobel Peace Prize winner. So, but it all started with, you know, this being in my dorm room and seeing this video and saying, Hey, you know, I think I can help it. Is there any way I can help you? And, and I really do believe change is so local and grassroots. Yeah. And it's also, it's just so I don't know about anyone else here, but I had a really visceral feeling when she said, when your parents see someone who might be a part of the unhoused community and you want to say, help or do something, and they say, no, 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 they're fine, they're fine, and really kind of speak for you or brush over your desire to be a part of the solution. And then I think it becomes harder and harder as you grow up in the world to feel like, what could I do? How could I help? But it actually started with those small moments. And it's also really incredible just the the sentence, and I hope that everyone can take this sentence with them into tomorrow, which is, how can I help? What can I do? Because when we do that, I I, I always feel like I have, if someone's talking to me about something, I'm like, you should come over. I I always think about that as like, you got to get on my couch, you got to get in my kitchen, let's talk about this. My friend Diara is very much like that too. And, and, and it does, it really does make a difference because the more tight knit, I feel like we are in our smaller kind of (coughs) social or inner circles, the more powerful it is when we try to build something because that's the foundation. Yeah. And so how did you bring this into cookware? Wow. <laughs> Cuz it's a it's a big everything feels like a big jump so far I feel. I'm like, "Oh my god, what? How did you get there?" And then all of a sudden it's like you're walking down Abbot Kenny and there's our place and what? <laughs> well, none of it was planned. You know, it's it is this sense of I was working at McKinsey. I was, you know, supposed to be creating spreadsheets when I quit my job to start a nonprofit. And I think being exposed to entrepreneurship at Stanford, growing up where I grew up, I had never really seen a female CEO. I didn't, there's no word for entrepreneurship in my native tongue, Urdu. And I know, Claire, you talk about radical imagination. You know, I I couldn't even see it, but getting to study at, at Stanford you know, on a scholarship paid for by a woman. I wouldn't have been here otherwise. I saw that there was another way to bring change. And I love the nonprofit model. I've worked within it for a long time. And I believe it also has its limitations. And so I knew I wanted to build a business that was rooted in, in impact. And I'm an immigrant. My partner is an immigrant. For both of us, we literally found our place in America by cooking food, having people over at our home. We have an absurdly long dinner table. It fits 16 people. There's two of us in the house. And she does invite you over for dinner a lot. Yes, come for dinner, everyone, please. Uh, And sharing stories. And I have always believed that food is deeply connected to identity. I was talking to your mom about it and your upbringing and how food was a big part of that. But food really is the source of You know, when we cook, we are reconnecting to our body, to our food systems, to our culture, to our communities. And when we looked around, we just didn't feel like there was really, you know, in the industry, a lot of recognition for 
perhaps the value of all of our cultures, right? Mm. And Italian food is amazing and French food is amazing and Pakistani food is amazing and Mexican food is amazing and they're all deeply nuanced and complex. And, you know, at our place, we celebrate Christmas and Easter and Lunar New Year and Shabbat and Ramadan. And there just seemed to be room for a brand that really celebrated and was rooted in culture. Um, We also felt there was room to bring in products that were clean, that were non-toxic, that were sustainable. And our place really became, for me, I think, this very personal journey in moving to America, finding roots, creating a sense of groundedness, building community, and really expressing what is possible. Because I think the immigrant experience, and not just immigrants, I think, you know, all of us, we move places, we move people, we move ideas and identities and beliefs. That is a lonely experience. But on the other side of that is so much joy and possibility and curiosity and reinvention. Mm. And I think that's a lot of what our place has, has really stood for. So did the idea for how you felt you could create impact through collaboration with different artisans come first and then you kind of went backwards to say I think doing it in this space with cookware because I think that's a really helpful thing for some entrepreneurs is like not is saying I think some people start with the problem you want to solve and some people can also start with the impact you want to have and then you can go backwards from there so which one do you think you had first or was that a kind of parallel path? I would say it was sort of a collection of moments and insights. So, you know, the understanding that there was the possibility to create a brand that really spoke to culture and how personal that felt, you know, to start with for me, but now also for our team and our community, an understanding of the industry and where we felt from a product design perspective, from a a wellness and sustainability perspective, there were huge gaps and holes that we, we thought were, you know, was time to fill Mm -hmm. and, and design differently. And then I think, you know, with a business, it really is, there is a sort of big things we do, right? We've donated over a million meals. We create collections that honor specific cultures. We collaborate with artisans and communities and then there is sort of the, the series of decisions you make every day. And when you are building a business, especially one that hopefully scales and grows, you get to make so many decisions every day and you can make better ones. And that impact adds up, whether that is, you know, building a diverse and inclusive hiring pipeline and culture or working with partners that you believe in or donating or, you know, reducing your carbon footprint. There is just this vast ability to personally, and then also with your leaders, build a culture of let's make better choices so that we have better impact. You know, I got to be building a nonprofit that did so much good in the world but as I build my business, it scales mm-hmm. and it grows fast and it mm-hmm. employs so many people and it pays them well and it takes care of them and it reaches so many consumers and our ideas and words, you know, reach millions of people. And there is just this 
ability to create real reach, and then every decision is something you can consider. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Since you never saw a female CEO or even had the word entrepreneur in your language growing up, what has been the most kind of unexpected part of this journey for you? I mean, even though it it feels like you kind of thrive on the unexpected, but what do you think you kind of move through or where are also even the parts in which you have to give yourself the most grace, whether that's through criticism, through critique, through hiring and firing, through hoping something worked out and it didn't? Well, I see them now. I see the amazing women CEOs and artists and chefs and designers and creators in in the audience. So I I do see them now. And that is hugely important to me to be seeing and surrounded by and learning from women that I admire. So while, you know, in part the journey started somewhat alone, it, it is not anymore. And I think, I think it's important that we, we fill our lives with women and people who inspire us. I think that's essential. I think on the criticism part, you know, we've been knocked off and duped and, you know, there's a Reddit forum on my accent. And I think that working through that is, and I mean, I feel silly telling you any of this because you are so vulnerable and you put yourself out there in ways that you know, I do not yet have the courage to do. And, and I, it inspires so many, including me. And I hope to have your courage, but I think building your center and building the sense of groundedness and home and people you love that you can come back to and learning to start to tune out the people whose opinions don't matter as much. Mm-hmm. And I think understanding what is what matters to you so much that you will expose yourself to that anyway, right? Because you know, when you put your words out there, people will say mean things and most of it is love, but there is just cruelty and unkindness and misinformation. And, and I know that if my business continues to grow and scale and succeed in the way that it has, you know, we see the cycle with the press and female founders, we put them on pedestals and then we, drag them all the way down for being imperfect while we are not holding male founders accountable. And so, you know, I've thought about it because I was taught to be likable, right? I, I, I think most of us were, I know for me it was about survival. It was 
you know, there were not that many examples of women living on their own and earning a living. And so I had to be liked to survive. And that is deep. But unlearning that and then learning that even if the criticism comes, this work is worth it. And I would choose to do it anyway. And then what, you know, what comes will come. I think that's such an incredible answer and also such a reminder that leaders are learners. I think it's, I think so often there's such a pressure if you're leading in any field to say, I'm the person who has to have the answers when I'm actually the person who's brave enough to learn in real time in front of a group and the group being my company or my peers or whomever it may be. And I think you are very brave and have a lot of courage actually. Thank you. What advice would you give to someone, whether it's a woman in this room or a government leader, if they want to support women and girls, would you say it's mentorship? Would you say, or womentorship, if you will? Would you say that there's certain funds they can contribute to, give time to? There's great organizations to donate to. I think mentorship is is huge. Um, the recipient of a scholarship, I, I have been through high school, through college. It changed my life. I actually, when I first got my scholarship, I was like, really? You want to pay this much for me to go to, to Stanford? Because I could just go to like a basic college and that would be cheaper for you. But, you know, the the woman who funded my scholarship wanted me to have the same education her, her children had. And I, I, I couldn't fathom that because I had grown up in a culture where, you know, if you were paying to send a child to school, it was you know, not a school that costs that much. And it changed my life. I think mentorship is very big. I think, you know, in our organizations, how do we hire, promote, and support women? I'm proud that our place is not just female-founded, but majority female-run and built today. And I think it makes us really good at what we do. And then I think the last part of this is, you know, if, if this is something you're really deeply passionate about, just getting involved locally, I think change can be very theoretical when it's, you know, giving to charity is incredibly important. But if you're donating, if you're largely connected through the to the issue through your laptop at a distance, it's, it's hard to know how to really make a difference. But the moment you show up, you know how to make a difference, right? The moment you show up somewhere, it's like, well, here's what's needed. And you're like, okay, I'm going to go make that happen. So I think for a lot of people who are trying to make a difference, just reducing the distance between you and the thing you're trying to change is a really, really good first step. And if for no other reason than because it makes you a better advocate, Mm -hmm. something I, I say all the time is that activism at its core is organized storytelling. And it's really hard to tell a good story if you're far away from the main characters of the story. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. CarbonX is an environmental company that aims to empower people to make a positive impact on the planet. They've created a simple platform to help you make up for your carbon emissions by supporting climate-friendly projects. You can earn shareable badges based on how long you've been offsetting, and your subscription will go towards supporting new initiatives and carbon offsetting projects that have been independently verified to have removed CO2 from the atmosphere. 
You can choose a project that is meaningful to you, such as planting trees in deforested regions of the Amazon and investing in energy-efficient and renewable resources around the world. For the Goop podcast team, CarbonX wanted to cover our team's carbon footprint. They donated a subscription for us to support an energy-efficient cook stoves program in Uganda. To learn more about CarbonX, head to their website at carbonx.com. That's carbon with a K-X.com or download the CarbonX app. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Is there anything you kind of say to yourself in the morning or before you go to bed that kind of helps keep you centered, whether that's a mantra or just something you kind of think to yourself that, you know, I, I, I always think that mantras are actually helpful because while you can never control your first thought, you do have a lot of power over your next thought. Mm. And if you can introduce a mantra into your second thought, you can really redirect where your thoughts are going to a space that is actually helpful to you in the moment. I, I have a mantra for anxiety that I use every single day, essentially. Do you have something that kind of helps with the pressure? It's really hard to run and scale a company and it's really hard to, you know, I, I know have the loneliness of being an entrepreneur and making all these decision-making is really lonely. Is there anything you kind of say or do for yourself every day? Well, your work helps. Oh my and it God. Is um, and I cannot wait to get my hands on your new book, Remember Love. I cannot wait. Oh my God. Pre-order. Plug, I love. I'm just <laughs> counting the days. But I, I would say, you know, most women and girls from my community don't get to live this life. And I tell myself not to make myself small, that I owe it to myself to see how big I can love and how deep, how deep I can love and how big I can live. And, and really sort of maybe to put it in a mantra, you get to exist. So let's fill it with meaning Mm. and just the sense of, you know, we're here. Let's, let's make this count. Let's squeeze as much meaning out of this life as we can. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Shiza Shahad. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Goop Podcast.